This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The National Committee announcing today there will be a fourth presidential debate, and you will find it right here on News Nation. So what comes next for the Republican hopefuls between now and December 6th? We're breaking down the big announcement. Plus, there is breaking news out of Washington this hour. The Senator Joe Manchin says he will not be seeking re-election. So what might be his motives? And could he be a possible third-party candidate? And if you took issue to what Hillary Clinton said when she called Trump supporters deplorable, just wait until you hear what she is saying now. Thank you for being with us here on the Hill on a busy and important day. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Mae Melman, former Trump White House attorney, the aforementioned Mick Mulvaney, former Trump White House chief of staff and News Nation political and economic contributor. Brad Howard is a Democratic strategist, and Johanna Mosca, former Obama official and News Nation contributor. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, hello, welcome to The Hill. We start off with this. Did you see this? Some news about the news. And we are thrilled and excited to share it with you. Check out this headline right here. News Nation to host fourth 2024 Republican presidential primary debate on December 6th, 8 o'clock Eastern. Hello to the panel just 26 days away. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Elizabeth Vargas, Megyn Kelly, Eliana Johnson. Uh, This is a big deal. I mean, fourth debate right before we sort of break for the holidays and these Republican candidates, I guess, lots of questions here going forward about how do they attack this? Who might be on the stage? What's their strategy? Very impressive women. If I must say so myself, Elizabeth Vargas, I I know she's News Nation, so I may be biased, but she did a fantastic job holding RFK Jr. accountable and really making a lot of the news, including that he was open to running as a third party before it happened. So I'm very impressed with the women that we have as our lineup. And I think Megyn Kelly actually humanized Donald Trump the most of any interviews. So as I understand, he said today that he's not going to attend until he is. So I hope he's thinking about it. We're going to have a lot of fun. What, what, what do you, what, if you're these candidates, right, what, what's the strategy going forward here, Brad, the next Well, the strategy three and a half is you're weeks. trying to distinguish yourselves, A, from the PAC, and then B, from Donald Trump. And I think you're starting to see Nikki Haley do A. I think she's starting to distinguish herself from the PAC. I think DeSantis has woken up a little bit, changed a little bit of his debate strategy. You see him now going after Trump on hardcore Nikki Haley is gaining some points because of her experience in foreign policy and the conflicts we're seeing in Ukraine and the Middle East have really given her a platform to showcase her bona fides in that regard. And I think it's diminishing a lot of some of the other folks. But I do think none of this matters if Donald Trump's not in it. I hope Donald Trump chooses to get in the News Nation debate. I think it'd be a great one to watch. But until these candidates really find a way to convince Trump's base that he's not right this time around, which I thought was an interesting argument from uh, some of the debaters, like he was a great president at the right time. Nikki Haley said that. 
but this time it's different. And so until they can nail that with his base and start really moving numbers, I mean, these debates are great, and they're, they're great to watch, but I don't think they're going to make much of a difference. So the tough part, I think, for these candidates is I've heard it explained to me, all of these recent debates, as watching The Sixth Sense for the second time, <laughs> where you kind of know what's going to happen. You know that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, but you got to sit through the full movie anyway. And so I, but, they're, but they're moving up because they are. you don't know what's going to ha- come, come down the road. I mean, we all see the polls, obviously, but... So I think what they need to do mostly is make it seem like Donald Trump is not inevitable, because that is the word that comes to people's mind when they think of Trump, that he is inevitable. So I think that uh, Ron DeSantis working hard to get the Kim Reynolds um, endorsement and doing other things before the debate to make them seem actually like they are capable of taking on Donald Trump. You need to hit 6% in the polling, and then there's a threshold for the amount of donors. Who do you think we... We see up there, and what do you what do you think they need to do between and now and then? That's that? where this one might be a little bit different, because yeah. Trump was never going to show up with nine people on the stage, right? He okay. might show up with two or three. You think so? And that's that's about what you're looking at. My guess is that's the last we've seen of Vivek Ramaswamy. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, Burgum, um, uh, is Larry Elder still running? No. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. if Chris Christie, uh, Tim Scott, can they can they I don't start know. pulling enough support? Is Vivek Ramaswamy going to hang around there? Yeah. Listen, a, a debate with just Nikki Haley and uh, and Ron, Ron DeSantis doesn't make much sense, including to Donald Trump, because it's too much attention on just those two. So if it's just down to those two, Trump might actually show up for this. All one. right. Well, one of the most contentious moments uh, in the debate last night, by the way, came over whether the social media app TikTok should be banned. And it got personal. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Here's the truth. You're just scum. But that's not good either. And then she came back and and called him and said, you are scum. I think any parent would make the argument. And he's a parent too, by the way. Leave my children out of well, your mouth. And but, his kids are a little young for social media, her, but once you... Her daughter's, I think, in like her 20s. Exactly. She is an She's adult. She's old well, enough to make that still, decision. I mean, and, the, and that's the thing is, you know, he... he uh, you don't want to open that up. And he did open that up, and it's pretty ugly. I was curious, though, when they'd start talking about more than just TikTok, because there's more than just TikTok that are Chinese apps on our phone and nobody brought that up. I was well, surprised. I mean, TikTok is the one that's on everybody's phone, right? TikTok is, plus. you know, 100 million plus. Nick says no. Not on yours. Not on military members, you know, not on some state government employees. But if you're talking about threat from China, if you're talking about just mass congregation of data, so it's not about data on you. People think, well, you know what? I don't care. Data on me. Fine. I, I Google the Jayhawks a lot. But, uh, but it's once you can collect where people are, what people are thinking when you know about Americans, and that is just TikTok, I think. The rest of these apps just don't have the broad-scale danger. One of the amazing things is Congress talks about, should we ban it or not? What would we do? And there's questions about, should we ban it or not? There there were TikTok ads all over the place last night Mm -hmm. uh, during the debate. But I want to go back to something that you just said, Mick, because you said Vivek Ramaswamy, hopefully he's not there at the next one. Can you explain yourself? Why why do you say that? He's drawing the debate down, right? The the comment here... With stuff like this. That's inappropriate. The comment about Zelensky being a Nazi, that's inappropriate. He's not lifting the debate. It's it's sort sort of like they're trying to out-Trump Trump, Trump, and nobody can do that, all right? Um, it's time for him to move on. Nikki, I thought, did a really nice job last night. She pushed back the right way. She did not have to go the next 
step and call him scum, because, again, that lowers the debate. If you're trying to run as Donald Trump without the baggage, if you're trying to say, I'm Donald Trump, the policies without the chaos, you don't need to call the other person scum. You certainly don't have to call somebody's children into play. I, I thought it was a that was a really good moment for Nikki Haley up until the time she called him scum. It was a bad time for him. He, by the way, and if it was if he had just behaved last night, then mm. the takeaway from Vivek Ramaswamy would be how he slammed the RNC and NBC. And I think that was an accurate sort of that's the kind of tech that can help you. But you can't make comments about Hitler and people's kids the, the, and expect to be taken seriously. When you're a mom though, and you're watching that, and you watch Nikki Haley go back at Vivek, you're like, yes. I mean, she. She does. She appeals to that woman, I the suburban that. woman. And, uh, don't mention my daughter. I thought she did a yes. great job with that. It's the call. But even the you are scum, was- like you don't go after my kids. You know, like fight back. I I felt her. And I didn't think it was too far over the line because I think he went too far no. over so the line. I actually was not, you know, I'm Vivek. I was offended by basically everything else he said that night, but, uh, <laughs> but not this because. Uh, Nikki Haley's daughter is an adult, and I kind of, you know, Hunter Biden is an adult and is obviously beyond fair game. I mean, he is also, like, traipsing in Ukraine, grabbing bags of cash, but he yeah, was but also he, fair game when he was merely a crack addict. Well, but so, he was also, like, on Air Force One. The daughter is, like, a nurse and 20-something and, like, on her own. Like, I don't, you know. That's true, but I think I would feel a little bit differently if he was going after minor children um, it's not All great. Right. Okay. It's not a good look for Vivek, but like right. she is a grown adult. So uh, abortion last night. Abortion will uh, clearly be in the picture in the debate 26 days from now. Republicans, you know, had those big losses uh, on Tuesday night in the election. So it put a focus on the only woman on the stage last night, Nikki Haley. I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice, and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this, there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decide. What do you make of her her answer? Uh, Tim Scott basically challenged her and Ron DeSantis to support a 15-week federal ban. We all just saw what happened in Ohio, and last night... And I assume what we'll see three and a half weeks from now will still show the divisions among Republican presidential candidates here. Right. So I live in Cleveland and uh, issue one. So Mm -hmm. whether to put a constitutional right to reproductive rights uh, in the Constitution passed by overwhelming margins. I do think that Nikki Haley's message, um, while it's being attacked as sort of giving up on the unborn, is the one that Republicans like. I do think it, that it has appeal, and, and we need to go that way. But trust me, Republicans are not ready for that. Like, th- that, we're very far from that. We talked about this a little bit last night, about uh, whether or not the Republicans are going to be able to pivot away from abortion at the federal level. I thought Nikki's answer was really, really good up until the, the, the part she started talking about the federal government getting involved again. If she had just said, we fought for 50 years to make this a state issue, let's have it be a state issue. If you really, really care about abortion, run for governor. But if you're running for Congress or president, abortion is no longer a federal issue. She said, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice. That's when fine. I heard a Republican presidential candidate say that, that, that stood out to me. She's... She's trying to give the comprehensive look, is she, is she not? But look, I'll, I'll just say that the, the Republicans, I've seen no Republican have a good answer that resonates with voters on abortion. Glenn Young can put that to the test in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and it was resoundingly rejected. Not only did they keep, con- Democrats keep control of the 
Virginia Senate, they flipped the Virginia House, which not many people expected to happen. And so I think the Republican Party as a whole has got to figure out how to answer this. I think Nikki Haley is a good messenger. I think she can legitimately talk about this in ways that other Republican candidates can't. But their answer still isn't resonating. Voters are still rejecting their answer. And yes, voters approved a right to abortion in Ohio, but not just Ohio. They've done it in states across the country. In fact, every time this has been on the ballot, it has been like upheld as a right, a yeah. fundamental right the that people fun- believe in. The- Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, you know, I was also surprised that she said, I don't judge someone for being pro-choice. That is unusual. It is also a pivot. If she were the candidate, I think she would be the strongest candidate against Biden. But believe you me, the Democrats would do everything to undermine her newfound uh, appreciation for the pro-choice movement. Why did it surprise you? Because it didn't surprise me. Uh, all the things last night that surprised me, that, that line doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've heard that line a hundred times inside Congress. We don't judge people based upon their position on this. We may disagree with them, and especially we will take other Republicans to task, especially candidates for office. But we don't judge this people based upon their pro-choice. This particular issue has gotten so personal and so many people have such strong feelings and you understand because those who believe that you are killing a child they believe it's murder and those who believe that it should be a right they absolutely fundamentally believe this is the most important decision that one will ever make it has gotten so personal that you don't hear that rhetoric probably enough that we respect each other's I think I think the, the need is so high to paint the other side as immoral because this is a decision on morality that you know I respect your decision to be immoral is kind of a funny but I reject that it's an, an issue of morality. I agree. It's, not, it's an issue of fundamental rights, but the federal government telling you what you cannot and cannot can and cannot do with your health care. Well, that, 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 that certainly is the framing. The, no, go on, finish, then I'll. Um, but what's tough, and you had mentioned Governor Youngkin, he actually did campaign on the message that I think a lot of the more moderate Republicans have been wanting, which is 15 weeks. 15 weeks is massively popular. Basically, 75% of people would be behind that, and he failed on it. And I think that that is a deeper problem. That means they don't trust Republicans, exactly. not just that they but don't they, like our one message. Of the, one of the big uh, takeaways that I had from yesterday's show was when Mick asked Sean Spicer, where is Donald Trump going to be on abortion? And, and you two sort of are like, eh, I don't know, we'll have to see. Speaking of Trump, yeah, where's, where's the wind, McSane? Uh, Republicans, as they were squaring off in Miami, the leading Republican was close by. Trump firing back after attacks from Ron DeSantis. Somebody said, oh, some one of the dumber ones. He doesn't have the courage to stand up. Well, listen, I'm standing in front of tens of thousands of people right now, and it's on television. That's a hell of a lot harder to do than a debate. All right, going forward here, because we're like 60 days to Iowa or whatever, what is Trump's strategy? We've talked about the the other group, the debate last night, the debate that they're going to be here on this network in three and a half weeks from now. Trump, his strategy is... The former I... chief of staff and the former attorney are like, don't talk, don't ask me that question. No, what did I eat for breakfast this morning? Um, so I think that he's fully in the general, right? So when he shows up to his New York fraud trial, he's talking about inflation. What does inflation have to do with New York civil fraud? Absolutely nothing. And I do think that his moderate position on abortion, not that I think that Trump is some evangelical pro-lifer, but... But, you know, he did play the part. He's no longer playing the part because 
he's now running in the general. So I, he, he doesn't, I don't think, care that much about the primary. I, I did have to laugh at one thing he said last night. Okay. But this could be something deeper here. Trump, at his rally, called out, as he often does, the famous people who were present. Okay. okay? Last night, it was Ike Perlmutter, George Masvidal, Laura Loomer, Roger Stone, Carrie Lake, and Yankees pitcher Nestor Cortez. Yeah. That was it. That was the A-list okay. at the Trump event last night in Miami. That, that, that speaks of a little bit of weakness. Yes, Nestor huh. Cortez is a Cuban-American. I get that. Uh-huh. But he's not a famous person by any stretch of the imagination. I wonder why no one is showing up to Trump's events like this. Because that is a D-list well, of, he also of had famous the, people. He also had uh, the local Republican congressman who brought him up and they booed him. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, that was wow. interesting. That was but, but I actually do think that Trump is underestimating that people still have to vote. And I know that he's got it so that his delegate math is probably in his favor. But I am still not convinced that the Republican voters are going to go, you know, step in line when they know that all these issues exist. And when he's saying, so, you know, I I do think that at this this debate last night, at the upcoming debate, we are starting to hear really smart things from these candidates. I actually thought DeSantis had interesting comments on Social Security. I think we're hearing these debates, and the more he's not there, he's... He has a certain segment of the Republicans. Yeah. He's going to keep them. But what about the rest and of them? And that's why on December 6th at 8 o'clock <laughs> Eastern from Tuscaloosa, Good Alabama, point. here on News Nation. We'll see if Nestor Cortez Should be watching. <laughs> see if Nestor Cortez shows up. Uh, the fourth Republican debate on this network. All right. A major political surprise, by the way, from Capitol Hill just a little while ago. The veteran West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin announcing he will not seek re-election, a move which could have real implications. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. All right. So the senator has been uh, thought to be toying with a possible independent presidential run. Um, Mick, there's there's that. And then there's the Senate. Let's start with the top of the ticket. What what do you take of what he just said? There? He's desperate to run for president. He as thinks, the third as he, party. He he's the third party, uh, the no labels candidate. He absolutely does. He's 76 years old. Hmm. Haven't we talked on the show just about <laughs> once a week for the last six months over how people in Washington are too old? He's just turned 76 and he's talking now about running for president. It's a, I think it's an ego thing. He, he knows he can't win in West Virginia. There's no chance he can get more than three or four percent as, as a national candidate. Um, it's, it's sort of sad to see he needs to ride off in the sunset and go be the president of West Virginia University, which is what retired senators are supposed to do. <laughs> but let me ask you this. If he is the no labels, top of the ticket. 10%, 4%. But that's, but that's consequent. I mean, you won't win a state, obviously, not even come close, but that could shift an election. Draws evenly between both Republicans and Democrats. So? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, I also think that, like, Republicans I, hate him and Democrats hate him. I mean, they Manchin, just do. Manchin but. actually draws more from Republicans right now with the polls. And I, I, I mean, he's not traveling to secure a corporate gig. So he's <laughs> probably going to make some inroads. Yeah, I mean, like, like Senator Manchin, I think it was pivotal to us, the Democratic Party getting and expanding the Senate majority um, with his resignation retirement, um, it makes it much harder yeah. for us to keep so let, In fact, I, I, it's almost impossible at this rate. Yeah. You think impossible. So let's jump off from there. Democrats um, in 2024 in the Senate, they must defend Montana, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. Hold all of those seats, assuming now that West Virginia is, is What I gone. hope progressives learn from this is that as much as they wanted to attack and criticize and hate on Joe Manchin, he's the reason we had the Senate majority for the last two cycles. And so 
you know, I think we need to demonstrate, we need to be careful about the way we attack our more moderate members of the Democratic Party, because we are a big tent party. This is how you get a majority in order to govern. And I think, you know, this is a big loss for the Democratic Party, I think. And I hope he does legitimately go out in the country and talk to voters and show them the diversity in the Democratic Party, diversity among ideology, diversity of the backgrounds they come from and the people of which they represent. But I think Mick is right. He was not going to win. And no. there's a disconnect. He's kind of to Washington establishment now. And I actually think Democrats need to learn from this. And we need to have working class people. We need to have really good candidates. To your point about drawing from Republicans, I'm a Republican. In my mind, he's the reason the Inflation Reduction Act passed. He's the reason all the big COVID spending bills passed. He's the reason the health insurance bill passed. There's, there's, this is my message to progressives. <laughs> yeah. I know it is, but it's, it's not a message for getting Republican yes, voters to, to move away from Donald Trump. The other benefit for him coming out is that Republicans can save a lot of money because that, yeah. even though Manchin was not going to win, he is popular enough that it would have been expensive, and, and now we can. And I think he would have stayed if Jim Justice's primary would have been a little more competitive. But I think Justice is going to get the nomination. He's friends with Jim Justice; they've been longtime friends. And Jim Justice used to be a Democrat, switched parties a couple years ago. Well, coming up, she once called Trump supporters deplorable. Now Hillary Clinton is going way beyond that. When it comes to Donald Trump, what she said and who she compared the former president to. Plus, for the children who are born today, what might the U.S. population look like when they are grandparents? The new numbers are out, and there is a link to one of the biggest political dilemmas. That's coming up when The Hill on News Nation returns. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You could see it in countries where, well, Hitler was duly elected, That's right? right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, somebody with those tendencies, those dictatorial, authoritarian tendencies would be like, oh, okay, we're going to shut this down, we're going to throw these people in jail. And, and they didn't usually telegraph that. Trump is telling us yeah. what he intends yeah. to right. do. We need to listen yeah. to Take that. him at his word. All right, so welcome back. That, of course, was the former Secretary of State, former First Lady Hillary Clinton on ABC's The View. And as you heard right there, she went as far as comparing Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. She has escalated here. It was first deplorables, then it was MAGA supporters are programmed, and now it's a comparison to Hitler. I think the general rule of thumb, no matter what political side of the aisle you're on, is don't compare people to Hitler. Is it not? So uh, she started with, before that segment, she started by talking about being Secretary of State and seeing one-and-done leaders. And, and that our democracy is fragile and that we need to protect it. I think that the problem is believing that any president has enough power that you could do away with all of our rights. I believe that in America, 
we have more checks and balances. And we saw that on January 6th. That is not to say I don't believe that Donald Trump would do everything in his power if he were elected again to go after people who were saying things that are awful to him, including his former chief of staff, including maybe even you, Mick. <laughs> I'm curious. I think it was more nuanced. Yeah, I mean, this is this to me is just the example of the Democrats don't have policy issues right now that they can run on. Bidenomics is not working. And so Trump is a threat to democracy has sort of it's 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 old it's used and so now we're escalating now it's hitler and i just don't think that this type of rhetoric is helpful for our country this the next election is so consequential it is the it's the environment that creates violence and danger is because people think everything is on the line and as somebody who acts like she cares about our democracy this type of behavior is exactly the opposite of what you would want to see i'll, I'll say I strongly disagree with you that Democrats are running on issues. We've got choice and abortion front and center right now. And defensive democracy is polls very high as voters' concern about the future of democracy. And it's something we should be talking about frequently on the campaign trail and across America. But, you know, the, what the, the secretary was actually contrasting Donald Trump to Hitler in a way. She was saying that Hitler did not communicate what he was trying to do. She's saying Donald Trump is. He's telling you what you're going to take him at his word. And I think that's the message we should glean from this. Donald Trump is telling you what he's going to do if he becomes president. We should all understand what that really means and the implications of that. And I think Democrats on the trail are going to continue to, to I mean, that comparing point. comparing anyone to Hitler is, you know, a Holocaust. Like, it, I don't even want to go down that road, but... I mean, I'll leave aside that both the Democrats at the table have now defended those remarks, because those remarks are not defensible. And here's the, here's the struggle I face. She's a professor at Columbia. I'm supposed to speak there next week. They've just put out a whole series about how they're supporting civil discourse. Is it real at these universities today, or is it just virtue signaling? They want to have a conference on, on civil discourse, so they invite me to go, but they let a professor go on and compare a former president of the United States to Hitler. I, I don't know. I'm not a cancel culture guy. I want to go, but I also don't want to feed this. I don't want to let Are them you, So you're considering not going? I, I, I want to go, but I don't want to let... The, I don't want to be part of a virtue signaling from university that really believes that Donald Trump is Hitler. And when, when, when somebody like this goes out and says this, and the university doesn't push back, what does that say about the university? If I go on stage and say that I'm for traditional marriage, they will consider that hate speech. What was that last night? In their minds, they're saying it's free speech. I'm not sure how traditional marriage is hate speech and hit Trump is Hitler is free speech. Well, I, don't I think get we need to protect speech, but you not going means that people who don't, who have your views won't have someone there to have this dialogue with. We won't expose people to views that are different than theirs. I thought the most wonderful thing about the University of Kansas is that we were exposed to so many different views, and it is critical right now. The other comments that she said, in this particular uh, view segment, she was talking about Israel and Palestine in a really effective way in which she was really talking about the people who have the signs that are free Palestine don't have all the information. And then she gave it to them. So, you know, people are not always right on everything. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't speak. I think you should very much go speak. It's the third time, though, you defended her and saying it's OK to call Trump. Yeah, out. And her comparison was not uh, that Trump is like a better version of Hitler. It was that he was a worse one because of his supporters. She was saying, 
saying that Hitler didn't say exactly what he was going to do. So maybe there was some plausible deniability from uh. people who voted for him. He's telling you, if you vote for this guy, you are voting for Hitler with your eyes open. And so it is, again, an indictment, not just on him, but uh, what she thinks about just Republicans. Can you imagine if we were running Clinton again? I mean, can you imagine if we were running Clinton again? I think we need a new way, generation of leadership. Don't count it out. <laughs> Oh gosh! Don't count it out. I mean, you think so? Well, we got a lot of people running better. She's done. I mean, like, look, I, I, I want Hillary Clinton as president desperately, probably more than anyone on this panel. Uh, I, I, you know, she's the reason I became a Democrat, (laughs) right? So I, I, I think she's been a terrific public servant. I think she's been through hell and back. Um, and is still fighting for a better world and a better democracy. Like this, you know, this incident is unfortunate because I don't. I, I generally think you lose your argument anytime you bring Hitler into the equation. Like and everything else it. goes away, yeah. and Amen. it's just it, it weakens your argument. I think there was better ways she could have done that. When, uh, when I and, came out as a Democrat, my family, my Republican family, said, "But you don't support Hillary, do, <laughs> do you?" It was during the Clinton administration, and when I eventually met her, it really surprised me because she reminded me more of my Republican grandmother than she did Satan which is what they thought she was. (laughs) All right, coming up, after more than a month of fighting, Israel agrees to temporarily pause attacks against Hamas. So what does that look like? We are live in the Middle East with what comes next. Plus, President Biden did something today that he rarely does. We're talking about where he chose to talk. That's next, here on The Hill. Hamas started this war. The son of a Hamas leader turned Israeli operative joins Chris Live. If we don't eradicate Hamas now, the violence will be much greater than this. The job is unfinished. Cuomo starting at 8, 7 central on News Nation. Welcome back to The Hill. So we are now getting a picture of what the country could look like at the end of the century, at the end of the century, rather. And it could hinge largely on one major policy issue, immigration. New U.S. Census projections show the population peaking in 2080 before turning downward to 366 million people in the year 2100. But the wild swings you see there on this graph depend essentially on how much immigration or how little immigration there might be in the U.S. The high would be, uh, this is basically for a kid who was born today. What's the population going to be like when, when they're 80, give or take? And, and I found it fascinating that the wild swing, I found two things interesting here, that the, there's a massive swing with immigration, obviously, if there's no policy, no immigration or whatever the policy is. And we're only projecting like a 10% increase over the next 70 years or so. No, and, and look, birth rates are down. It's very expensive to have a child. I have to say I am very happy that May Mailman <laughs> is uh, adding to her family and helping us all out. But we're, we're seeing this, that it's not adding enough. And if we want Social Security and other things to be viable, we're going to have to have people working and paying for that. And so it is a problem if we don't have smart immigration policies that actually Democrats and, and Republicans largely agree on, then we're going to have problems. But this is like one of the things that Democrats and Republicans, like, is there going to be massive immigration reform in the next several decades? Decades, like, there has you know, a plan sitting well, with your you know coalition of problem solvers that they have a plan. Oh sure, there's a lot of really good immigration plans right now. The problem is that uh, the head of our party is absolutely against it. He's not. I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Donald Trump was for 
some more legal immigration. He's harshly against illegal immigration, but there's a lot of Republicans who don't like immigration at all, and that is a problem. National wealth, national income, is a function of two things. Your population times your productivity. And I'm sorry to get really geeky. I'm mm-hmm. going to put my old Office of Management budget Go hat on for, for a second. When the population is going down, unless your productivity for every person who's still around goes up dramatically, you are going to be dramatically poorer as a nation. What about that AI? Is a problem. Yeah. That's the productivity thing. So, But can AI make up for these types of numbers? You've never seen that in the history of technology. But I think with the... So obviously, having a substantial working age population is useful, like who's going to buy our houses, who's going to take care of us when we're old. So it's important. But I think that just looking at this as high immigration, medium immigration, low immigration misses the point of what type of immigration. I think this is what Joanna was getting to. We really need to think strategically about the needs that our country has and put that type of You said something together. really, really sharp, which is this, which is who's going to take care of us and who's going to buy our houses, because that's how we save mm-hmm. money, right? Mm-hmm. Robots and machines will be able to help take care of us. No one's going to buy your house, which means all of your savings goes to zero. That's what I talk about when the country getting dramatically poorer if you don't have dramatic increases in productivity. And I think when we talk about comprehensive immigration reform, I think too much gets focused on border security, which is a critical part of comprehensive immigration reform. But we've got to look at like business visas and education visas and all these other things yeah. to encourage the right kind of to, to encourage an immigration workforce that reflects the needs of Americans while we get our own folks up to the point where they can take those jobs. And that allows us to stay ahead of the curve, allows us to compete globally. And so I think what gets missed a lot in the comprehensive immigration reform is that discussion. I would love to see more of that discussion in Congress. So, and more of that discussion, I bet you, will come up in the News Nation debate <laughs> on December 6th, it's 8 right. o'clock Eastern. Uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Elizabeth Vargas moderating alongside Megyn Kelly and Eliana Johnson. And come on in, Elizabeth. I am so stoked for you, my friend. This is so cool. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Fourth debate. I think it's, what, 26, 27 days, something like that, in Alabama. But who's counting? Uh, I've got the hours and minutes counted down. (laughs) And you're moderating. Yes, I am. It will be just, uh, gosh, how many days before uh, the Iowa caucus? It's going to be very, very important, a big time for these candidates. Uh, We think that probably we're not sure yet who will make the stage who will still be uh, in this race, but they're all obviously trying desperately to close this enormous gap that they have between all of them and the front runner, former President Donald Trump. But this is pretty key. I mean, if you notice that poll that was out earlier this week um, that said that most Republicans uh, are now saying right now and uh, that they would vote for uh, former President Donald Trump, they also say that if he's convicted of any crimes, they would look to vote for somebody else. Also, polls show that the vast majority of Americans don't want either Trump or Biden on the ballot. Right. They want somebody else. So there, there is still opportunity. We are a year out for something to happen that could change the equation. And one of these uh, contenders needs to be in the position to take over the front-runner status if that opportunity arises. So I'm sure they'll be hoping to make, make an impact on December 6th in Alabama. Yeah. And one of the interesting things will be, how do these candidates maneuver between now and then? Because uh, the, the stipulations put forth by the Republican National Committee mean you got to hit 6%, yeah. right? So Tim Scott's got to make a move. Chris Christie's got to make a move. Can Vivek Ramaswamy get there? Or is this just going to be uh, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley face-to-face to try to make their final push before Iowa? Uh, from what I'm hearing, it probably will not just be uh, a two-person debate. Um, however, I think that 
we're hearing probably four. And you're, everybody's looking to make an impact. We just heard yeah. an announcement that Governor Chris Christie is on his way to Israel. He'll be the first GOP Indeed. candidate uh, to visit Israel since the October 7th attack. So obviously he is hoping to, to draw on that, the experience from that trip and that firsthand uh, experience of seeing what's going on down there himself. Uh, you know, he's been very smart on the debate stage. I thought he was smart last night. Um, I thought Nikki Haley was incredibly smart. There were a lot of really interesting moments, I thought, from that debate. Um, yeah. And a lot of really fiery ones and a few low blows, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And calling out candidates' children. Yeah, um, I think that's kind of like, you know, I think everything yeah. is a fair game when you're a candidate. And, you know, you got to yeah. put on your big boy pants and go out there on stage or, in, in her case, her big girl shoes, uh, her high <laughs> heel, her five-inch heels. Uh, and and yeah. I think Nikki Haley is ready for anything about Nikki Haley. Um, I think bringing right. up somebody's children, I know, felt to a lot of women that I spoke to today like a low blow, especially because it seemed to also impugn her mothering skills. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, Elizabeth, I am thrilled for you. We have a lot to talk about between now and then. I know you're going to sure have do. Megyn Kelly, who you will be moderating uh, the debate with on your show tonight. We will see you exactly six minutes from now. Elizabeth, congrats again. Thank um, you. Have a great show. Thank you. Yep, of course. And before we go, the FDA just made a major move with a popular medication. Why some weight loss drugs could be getting a whole lot cheaper. Final thoughts from the panel right after the break. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's something that caught our eye. The FDA has approved Eli Lilly's diabetes drug, Monjaro, for use in treating weight loss. The new medication will be called Zepound. It will join other drugs like Wagovi and Ozempic, which both aim to reduce record obesity rates. What I found interesting here, one of the things for uh, those who have, like, insurance through your work, could be 25 bucks. Well, look, I'm all in favor of weight loss. While we're at it, I'm about to hit 40. Can you get one for hair loss? Can you get one for Is that what you're looking for? Oh, yeah. I just, I'm help. into natural. You know, my, uh, I, it's all natural. Eat it all natural and you'll be Give me be my gummy, my vitamin gummy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. We've got to leave it there. Thank you all. Great day. Uh, fun time. Um, and Elizabeth Vargas reports. Starts right now. A big day for Elizabeth. I'll see you tomorrow. Hello, everybody. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. On the heels of what was another fiery debate in South Florida, the stage is set for the fourth and final showdown of the year between the Republican presidential hopefuls. On December 6th, on the campus of the University of Alabama Crimson Tide, I will be hosting the next Republican primary debate for News Nation alongside Megyn Kelly, host of The Megyn Kelly Show on Sirius XM, and Eliana Johnson with The Washington Free Beacon. The debate is on December 6th. It's just 40 days before the all-important Iowa caucus. And as the Republican field narrows and each candidate tries to close a significant gap in the polls with former President Donald Trump, it will be crucial. I'm going to be talking about all of this with Megyn Kelly when she joins me live in just a moment. But first, the fallout from the fireworks in Miami, and there were a lot of them. News Nation's Joe Khalil is live for us with the reaction in Washington today. And Joe, there was no Trump on the stage, but boy, plenty of energy. Yeah, there was. And first of all, congratulations, Elizabeth. We're all very excited for the news. You're going to be hosting that debate. 